came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come to America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come to America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. We have Gordon Chang. What's going on in China? Mike Pompeo, the former secretary and CIA director. Let's go around the world to see what problems we have. Congressman Dan Crenshaw on Texas and the border. Senator Ron Johnson on Middle America. And Mario Konomo, Europe. What the heck is going on? Larry Kudlow, The Economy. And let's start off the show with Judge Janine Pirro, and she's mad as hell, and let's hear why. Janine Pirro, how are you on a Sunday morning? And I look forward to listening to your show on 11 o'clock on WABCradio.com and 770 on your dial. Well, you'll be hearing from me in just a little bit, and I'm... uh... I'm fired up about what's going on in America, as you well know, or we all are. But there is one case that actually speaks to my background, and that is the case of uh, Alec Baldwin now being prosecuted on two counts of involuntary manslaughter uh, for pulling trigger and killing the cinematographer, Helena Hutchins. Now, uh, you know, I was... I'm very fortunate I got one of the few interviews with the DAs who were not interested in uh, publicity. They literally, and, and people on the East and West Coast were shocked, they issued a statement saying they were charging him with involuntary manslaughter. These are uh, prosecutors who feel very confident in their case. They took the time to analyze it, and I think that Alec Baldwin is in a whole lot of trouble. Well, I'm going to tell you how I feel that uh, I think it was a tragic mistake. I don't, I don't really don't think he, he meant to do it or, or realized that it was loaded. Call Murphy's Law. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, how do you d- internally feel? I mean, do you think uh, there was any intent there? Do you think he was set up? Give me your internal yeah, let me, feelings. Let me- let me, let me make this clear. Look, you know I was a prosecutor for 30 years. I was an elected DA and I re-elected. I know. Re-elected. You, okay, you would let people out of jail. You would let people out of jail when their time was up. Maybe. Maybe. Okay, <laughs> let, let's be clear about this. Yeah. Uh, we are not. Uh, we are not. That's not my case. The, the DAs are not charging him with intentional murder. They're not saying he intended to kill Alina Hutchins. They are not charging him with reckless murder. They are charging him with involuntary manslaughter, which is a negligence that is so gross that a life was taken. And nobody's attributing uh, intent or even recklessness. But what the DAs were very clear on, John, is the fact that he had a duty at a very base level to never hold a gun, point it at a person, and pull the trigger. 
He had a duty both as an actor and a producer on that set to have the bullets checked or to check it himself to make sure they weren't live. Let's be clear about this. A woman was shot dead. The mother of a young boy is dead. I don't care about whether you like Alec Baldwin or don't like Alec Baldwin. You don't take a life. And you know what? I don't care if you're on Avenue of the Americas in New York City or if you're on a movie set in New Mexico. You are so reckless, so derelict, so beyond in terms of your ability to even be careful in holding a gun, pointing it, pulling a trigger. And make no mistake, John, he lied when he said to uh, George Stephanopoulos that he did not pull the trigger. Never, never, never. I would never point a gun and pull a trigger. Never, never. It's not my responsibility. I don't know whose it is. It's not mine. Are you kidding me, John? Well, I'm going to tell you, I understand he lied, but he was probably scared stiff. I mean, it's I the same thing. If, if it's the same stiff. If you're, if, if you're asked in public, did you cheat on your wife? Then keep your mouth shut because it will be used against him in a court of law as an inconsistent statement, which shows consciousness of guilt, the willingness to lie in spite of the fact that there is a dead mother in the prime of her career, oh. a boy without a mother, a husband without a wife. Let me lie about it. No, no, no. I no, agree. No, no, no I agree. With life and death. Bottom line before we go to the next subject, what's, what do you think is going to happen? Well, if he's smart, uh, then he will probably try to plea bargain the case. I asked the prosecutor if they would plea bargain. Uh, they said that under the canons in New Mexico, they couldn't discuss that. But if he's smart, he won't take the stand because they will rip him apart. They will rip apart every lie he ever said. The fact that that was an unsafe set. He was the producer. He knew it. People were walking off the set. Live rounds had gone off. The DA said that he sacrificed human life for money. He put inexperienced armorers on there because he wanted to save money, and a life was lost. This is not a case where he's going to be able to walk away. You sound mad as hell. Tell me, what else are you uh, mad as hell about? <laughs> Well, you know what? I, I'm look. That, that's my wheelhouse. I mean, a DNA law enforcement is in my in my blood, in my DNA. But let's talk about Joe Biden. You know, at this point, uh, we've got so many mixed messages, so much going on with the Department of Justice. You know, for years, the Department of Justice used to actually give us excuses and say, you know. Um, the fact that Hillary Clinton, a bleach bit, wiped out 33,000 emails, well, you know, that we're not going to go after her. But right now, the Department of Justice is in your face, John. They're saying, we don't need the FBI or the Department of Justice to oversee the collection of classified materials from Joe Biden's home. They are literally saying to the American people, in your face, folks, we don't really care. If it's Donald Trump, we'll go in there with guns a-blazing and, you know, we'll, we'll keep the lawyers out of the house, out of Mar-a-Lago. But we'll let them, in Joe Biden's case, go in and collect the evidence. They're not even hiding their favoritism anymore. And this is the beginning of the takedown of America. It is a crime against America when one of our institutions is so corrupt that they're willing to say openly and outwardly, 
it's okay. You have classified documents. You've had them for six years. You're only a vice president. You don't have the right to declassify them. You've lied to the American people. You held them after the midterms. And even when you came clean, you didn't come clean. Because on January 9th, when you came clean, you knew about December 20th finding more classified documents. But you didn't tell us on January 9th. This is a problem. Joe Biden's a mess. And you know what I think? I think some of this may be his own party saying, Joe, it's time for you to go, big boy. I think the Democratic Party, the swamp in Washington, maybe the Democratic Party themselves have decided that it's time to go President Biden. Yeah, I think so. I think that, look, they got through the midterms. I don't know if it was a Dobbs decision and abortion, which is what a lot of people are saying. But thank goodness. The Freedom Caucus did what they did. And I love Kevin McCarthy. He's great. But thank God they did what they did. Because right now, they're not going to be able to pull the wool over our eyes with an omnibus bill of 4,000 pages that you have 48 hours to read it. They're not going to be able to, you know, pass these budgets without us knowing about it. The issues are going to get to the floor They're going to put the Democrats' feet to the fire, and Americans are going to be more intimately aware of what's going on in D.C. And so I believe that if the Republicans get stronger, the Democrats know now it's time to get rid of Joe Biden. And that ditz, who can't even talk her way out of a word salad, has to go as well. Janine Pirro, I'll be listening to you at 11 o'clock. I'm looking to hear more of that fire. On WABCRadio.com, 770 on your dial, and on your iPhone, 77 WABC. And the same thing on your uh, Alexa, play 77 WABC. That's right. We're all over, John. Take care. Have a great Sunday. With us today is Gordon Chi Chang, and there are many, many new happenings in China. We understand that the population in China is dropping. Uh, Gordon uh, Chang, tell us what the heck is going on. Why are are couples, why are are Chinese having less babies? A couple of reasons. First of all, from 1979 to the end of 2015, China had a one-child policy. And they rigorously indoctrinated the benefits of having only one child. And although they now have gone from a two-child policy to a current three-child policy, Chinese people are just not procreating. Part of it is because you've got the pessimism in society. Um, and also, as societies mature, and China's a maturing society, couples generally tend to have fewer children. So you put all of this together, and it means that China's population is on a one-way ride downward. And, you know, people say, well, don't worry about this. Well, I think the people in Beijing, the officials, are really, really worried because everything they tried to do to arrest the decline just hasn't worked. And they can understand that when a country loses two-thirds of its size in eight decades, nothing good's going to happen. Uh, understood. Uh, what else is... Uh, uh, there's so many things happening in the Far East. What else is happening? Well, also on Tuesday, again, the National Bureau of Statistics reported that China's economy grew 3.0% in 2022. Most people, I think, would view that number with a great deal of skepticism. 
Um, China, if it grew at all, growth was negligible. I think it probably contracted. Um, but the point is that China's economy is in trouble. And the big story here in China is not that it's got a demography problem or a problem with the economy. It's got a lot of problems that are hitting at the same time. So it's got the, ex- the continuing debt defaults, plunging property prices. The economy is mentioned. Um, worsening food shortages, deteriorating environment, COVID-19 is ripping through the country. And they just uh, are, are, I think, uh, in a crisis mode in China right now. How many people you think died of COVID-19? Because we could never really get any real numbers from them. Airfinity, which is the London-based health researcher, a week ago estimated about 9,000 deaths a day. Um, people are projecting 36,000 deaths a day during Lunar New Year, which starts in a couple days, because that's the time when Chinese travel. Overall, by the time this winter is over, uh, the estimates are somewhere between one and two million people in China will die from COVID. And is that putting depression upon the Chinese people? I mean, are they depressed? What, what, what is the attitude? Uh, other than Beijing? Yeah, I think that there is a general pessimism throughout Chinese society. Um, You know, we we see this in other societies that have gone through the pandemic, including ours, but it's much more pronounced in China. Um, And so there's a real feeling that uh, the miracle has ended and that um, they understand that the the regime is just um, at, at sea. So, um, when that occurs, you have people leaving China, which is something we are starting to witness. Money's flowing out. Um, this is a country which is really in trouble, John. We know that China has been making bases in Africa. They've been making bases in South America. Their 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 tentacles are reaching all, all the uh, other uh, continents. Uh, what do you think the is the long range plan? To, to run the world economy? The Chinese leaders um, want to dominate the world. Um, and Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, actually has been pushing the notion that China is the world's only sovereign state. In other words, um, the United States would be at best a colony. And Chinese officials even talk about the moon and Mars as sovereign uh, territory of the People's Republic of China. So these are the most ambitious aggressors in history. Um, they understand, of course, that they can't do that right away, but that's their long-term goal. And really what they have run into, John, is imperial overstretch, that concept of the Yale uh, scholar Paul Kennedy. Um, he developed it in connection with the United States, but China really is overstretched right now. Its ambitions are much grander than its resources. And I think the Chinese are pulling back. Um, despite all the advances they make, the prob- real problem for Xi Jinping is that his form of diplomacy is intimidation. Now, you can intimidate people if they think that your country is going to dominate the world, have the world's biggest economy and, and all the rest of it. But you can't intimidate if people think your country is shrinking and falling apart. And people are starting to understand how serious the problems inside China are. What else would you like to tell the American people? The thing that concerns me, John, is that as China has these problems internally, that it's becoming more aggressive externally. Last month, there were the large-scale incursions into India's Arunachal Pradesh. 
There was the stepped-up uh, violations of Philippine and Japanese sovereignty in the South China Sea and East China Sea. There were a lot of air incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone, especially on Christmas Day. And from our perspective, a Chinese Navy fighter dangerously inter, um, engaged a unarmed U.S. Air Force reconnaissance plane in international airspace over the South China Sea. So China can lash out. And what really, really concerns me is that we don't have a sense of urgency, either in the Biden administration or in the Pentagon. And that's not just a lack of sense of urgency among the civilians there. It's also among the three and four stars. So we can be taken by surprise. Now, there was a rumor around that Jack Ma uh, has lost his company. Did the Chinese just take it away from him? He has his two companies. One is Alibaba Group. Um, where the Chinese are exerting more control. And there's Ant Group, which is the electronics payment platform. The news you're referring to is that Jack Ma lost voting control of Ant Group. He had about 53.5% voting control. He was taken down to about 6.2%. The Chinese um, regime, I've heard, wants Ma back in China, but he is resistant to going. He used to be hanging out in Tokyo, now they say he is in Thailand, um, but he understands that it's not wise for him to go back, even though he is a member of the Communist Party. Uh, I guess the, uh, there must be some politics going on. Uh, well, uh, Gordon Chang, now I'll tell my audience that uh, follow Gordon Chang on his Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang, and uh, he'll give you up to the minute what the heck is going on and uh, Thank you, Gordon. Have a great weekend. Thank you, John, and happy uh, Lunar New Year, the year yes. of the rabbit. The year of the rabbit. Happy Lunar New Year, and we'll talk real again real soon. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're listening to The Cat's Roundtable. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. What is today from middle America? We have uh, Senator Ron Johnson. Senator uh, Johnson, uh, there's so many things going on in our country. The latest crisis this week uh, was uh, uh, that we have surpassed the, the budget limits. Uh, at what point do you believe that's going to become a problem? Good morning, John. Well, you know, they always have what they call extraordinary measures. Uh, they, they borrow against different things, and, and they can extend the, the debt ceiling. Eventually, it's going to have to be raised. Uh, what I've been suggesting, uh, I wrote about this in a, a column that ran the Wall Street Journal the day after I got reelected, is uh, to restore, return some function to Congress. What we should do is, if we have to increase the debt ceiling, and we do, we should use the debt ceiling the way it was intended. Uh, it's, it's, it's a nasty vote. Uh, certainly conservatives don't like to increase the debt ceiling, but if we're going to take that vote, uh, what we should be doing is we should be adding to it fiscal controls. I, I laid out four different pieces of legislation. Uh, one would be the Preventing Government Shutdown Act, so we can 
alleviate uh, anybody's worries that we're going to shut down the government. All, all that does, by the way, is it does what the state of Wisconsin does. If you have dysfunction, you haven't passed appropriation bills, you don't shut down government, you just fund them at last year's levels. Total common sense. The fact that that's not in place just shows you how dysfunctional Congress is. But the full faith and credit would in- ensure that uh, we would never default on our debt. Uh, the RAINS Act would uh, rein in out-of-control regulation. And then one that's kind of dear to my heart, it's one of the first piece of legislation I introduced back in 2012, reducing the size of the federal government through attrition act. You don't fire anybody, just quit hiring them. Quit growing the size of the federal government. Uh, it's amazing how quickly you start shrinking if you, if you simply stop hiring people. You can reallocate folks. But anyway, uh, attached to it, those, those types of fiscal controls. And there, there's other ideas, and I, I hope the House does exactly that. Uh, I think it's uh, troubling that uh, now President Biden won't even begin to have discussions over it. He's just saying it's got to be a clean increase to debt ceiling. Well, that's what big spenders always want. Uh, he's, he's actually the guy that uh, President Obama dispatched uh, back in 2011 when I first uh, came to Congress, and we were talking about things like cut cap and balance, and we, we actually, because of our pressure, passed the Budget Control Act, which reduced discretionary spending for three years in a row until Congress figured out how to weasel out of the the uh, sequestration and, and the budget caps. Um, but he's actually the guy that negotiated that deal with uh, with Leader McConnell and, and others. Uh, but now he refuses to even negotiate. Uh, and un- unfortunately, the, the mainstream media will, will back him up and, uh, you know, blame Republicans if there's uh, any kind of uh, a scare here as it relates to the, the death ceiling in default. Uh, it's something that, uh, that that is everybody always screams about. The papers write about, but at, at the midnight of when you have to do it, everybody seems to pull it together and do it, and does it. So I don't think the public is uh, worried about that until uh, there is a reason to worry. Now on on the Biden documents, uh, it seems like. Uh, Nobody understands what the heck is going on. Uh, all of a sudden, this became uh, open. And I'll give you my interpretation. Has the Democratic Party itself decided it's time for Biden to go? Is that a possibility? Well, I think that's a very real possibility, John. It, listen, it makes no sense. Nothing about the, the Biden document story makes any sense whatsoever. I mean, if, if you had really just uh, innocently uh, taken a couple of classified documents and then innocently discovered that, oh, geez, I've got some of these here, uh, what you would have done is you would have uh, scoured every sock drawer you have, you know, every nook and cranny in your garage, and you would have you know, found that over the course of months. Let's face it, apparently these things – that's the story, at least, uh, first sur- surfaced in early November of last year, you would have gathered all these things up and you would have had one story, right? Just one, one document dump. But this, this thing's trickled out. So that doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I somewhat suspect, in addition to this is going to be the excuse for everybody, uh, all the leftists, to throw Joe Biden under the bus. And trust me, he deserves to be thrown under the bus. This, this may just be some massive diversion, diversionary operation. So don't look at what's happening in the border. Uh, you know, last month's numbers, more than 8,000 people per day being encountered. 8,000 people per day. Remember when we were freaking out about these caravans of 5,000 people? 8,000 people yes. per day. 
so again, the, 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 the leftists in the media, uh, they don't want to defend this record. So the best way to do that is, uh, you know, blame, blame Joe Biden for everything. Uh, take him out on, you know, this, this document, this story, and uh, divert the American public's attention from what's going, wrong, what's going on in this country. The other big item that is really on the front page, like you said, is all these people coming uh, through the borders and uh, Secretary Mayorkas uh, has lied, or but somebody pointed out he wasn't actually sworn in, so maybe he didn't lie, uh, that uh, uh, there's no problems with the borders. Uh, Mayor Adams, I was with him the other day after he returned from uh, from the borders, and he was he was flabbergasted, and he says we can't. New York can't afford. I mean, they made arrangements with hotels for five thousand migrants, and it's going to cost the city two hundred and seventy-five million dollars. Is anybody talking about it in Washington? Well, Republicans are, but Democrats have their heads buried in the sand. Uh, you know, I've been talking about this. Uh, since I'm becoming chairman of Homeland Security, we had the surge, uh, the humanitarian crisis under Obama when there were 2,000 people a day being encountered. And then uh, another surge under Trump, which he got under control and basically handed Biden a, a largely uh, controlled border, and Biden blew it all up. Uh, so now there were 8,000. Know, four, times, four times the level of Obama's humanitarian crisis is what Biden is allowing. And I saw a report, I think, just last night about uh, those hotels that are being, I guess, commandeered in New York and just being trashed by the migrants. You know, this, this doesn't work for anybody. The, the, the sex trafficking, the human trafficking, the drug trafficking, the fentanyl, but it's all being covered up by a leftist media. They're just not. It's out of control. This. Agreed, Senator. Senator, I want to thank you. We're out of time. I want to thank you for coming on this uh, Sunday morning. And and our country has problems, and we have to solve them soon. Otherwise, we're gonna we could turn into Venezuela someday. That's the concern. But uh, God bless you for all you do, John. God bless. Thank you, and have a great uh, rest of the weekend. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Well, it's Sunday morning. What is today is former Secretary Mike Pompeo, and uh, he was also the head of the CIA, so he's one knowledgeable person, number one in his class in in West Point. Uh, Mr. Secretary, good morning. How are you this Sunday morning? Well, good morning to you on this uh, beautiful Sunday morning. I'm I'm doing good, John. I hope you're doing great too. Now, I am. Two years, two years and two days since I left office. Uh, and changed a lot since then. And two years and uh, well, one day maybe before we have a next president. <laughs> Let's pray for that. Let's pray for that, um, Mr. Secretary. Where would you like to start this morning? Well, you know, John. Uh, 
this week on the 24th. My book will come out. It's called Never Give an Inch. And, and you just cataloged uh, the things that we worked on for those four years. The story, Never Give an Inch, is the story of four years of service to America, putting American people first, and whether it's Afghanistan or the uh, domestic issues, right, where the Chinese Communist Party stealing our secrets and destroying American jobs. These are the things that uh, we worked on and delivered really good outcomes for the American people. And I, I wanted to tell the story. I wrote the book because I wanted to tell the story about the fact that what we're experiencing today doesn't have to be. President Biden says we can't close our southern border. No, in fact, I worked as Secretary of State on Remain in Mexico, and I talk about my meeting with President Obrador in the book. You can fix these problems. These are political choices that are being made, and the American people are suffering for that. In the last few days, I understand from Senator Johnson, who I spoke to, uh, that 8,000 people a day are crossing the border. Uh, even the Democrats, Mayor Adams, uh, I was with him the yeah. other day, and he was down at the border, and he's flabbergasted himself. I mean, he doesn't want to criticize his own leader, uh, President Biden, but New York City is suffering. Uh, I understand 5,000 migrants, uh, he got them hotel rooms, and it's going to cost $275 million for the year for 5000 And you have 8000 a day coming through. My goodness. Look, I, I only chuckled there because I can't imagine 8,000 people a day coming across during the Trump administration and anyone still having their job. <laughs> right? it, it, it's, this, it's horrible. This is malfeasance. This is in, this, there has to be intention. They have no intention of closing this border and protecting American sovereignty. And the risk, to your point, huge costs. I'm mayor of New York City, big cities all across America. That's bad. Uh, but think about the fentanyl that's being trafficked. Think about the terrorists that have the capacity to come across our border. And, you know, it's now some, I think it's close to 4 million people in these first two years. Goodness gracious, my, my home state of Kansas is a little over 3 million people. This is, this, is no, this is no way to take care of middle-class Americans who are struggling to figure out how to afford to buy eggs and milk and put food on the table for their kids. To have that open border in the South was something that we demonstrated could be fixed. And we've watched President Biden with some uh, some level of malfeasance and clearly no intention of closing it down, just simply walk away from it. It's dangerous. And uh, the other day, uh, the uh, Democratic governor of, uh, was at New Mexico says uh, he's he's going to take away or she's going to take away uh, uh, some of the gun laws. And I believe in gun reform. Not everybody needs a, a machine gun. But the, the way people are coming over the border, it could be terrorists. Who knows what it is? I mean, I would want to protect my family. You know, it's, it's really something to watch uh, the, the liberals respond to those kinds of threats. So you're right. Yeah, in New Mexico, they're talking about reducing the people's capacity to protect their own homes when you've got who knows who coming across the border, wandering through their cities. We saw the leadership in the Washington, D.C. say, no, we want to put criminals in jail for less time. This is this runs counter to taking care of the most basic needs, the responsibility of government to take care of the most basic need to allow people to live in freedom and security, to do the things they need to do for their families. And, you know, we, we, I write this book, Never Given Inch. We never lost focus on that. We always knew that that first responsibility, whether we were dealing with China or the government in Mexico or international terror, we always knew that our first mission set was to put the people of America first and the result of rethinking that proposition and apologizing for America and thinking this nation is a racist nation, John, that is that runs counter to the traditions of our country, and we are all suffering for that today. 
Uh, we had somebody from the DEA on the other day, and, and he retired DEA because he, he just retired about a couple of years ago because he can't talk about it if he was active. He says 108,000 people have died in the last 12 months just from fentanyl. Are the Chinese getting even with us? We, we tried to fix this during our time. Um, we weren't able to convince China to change its behavior. We were able to stop this at our border to a significant degree. Uh, look, their, their motivation is really very simple. Um, they see demand in the United States. There are cartels prepared to buy this and transit it uh, from China through Mexico into the United States. It is a for-profit enterprise. And we, we know how to fix this, John. This is fixable. When you hear Vice President Harris say, well, we have to go to root causes, we have to figure this out, that is just junk. We, we know how to address this. We simply need leadership that's prepared to do it. Tell me about uh, 2024. We're going to need a, a conservative president who is fearless with a spine of steel. We're going to need to win the United States Senate. We're going to need to win school board races all across America. It's just not that presidential race that we've got to win in 2024. I am convinced that our party has the right ideas, and I, I don't mean that politically. It has the right ideas for America and working class people all across this country who need a president and leaders in Washington, D.C., and in capitals like Albany and Austin and Sacramento and Topeka, my home state. They need leaders that are prepared to recognize that policy matters, and it matters most to the least amongst us, and get that right. I think our party has the right ideas and the right next set of leaders to bring that forward for the American people, and I'm convinced they're going to see it. I agree 100%. And your book, Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love. I love those words, fighting for the America we all love. Uh, it's Amen. released on January 24th. It's available in uh, Amazon, and it's available uh, in Barnes & Noble, I guess. That's right, and you can go to MikePompeo.com, and you can order it there. You can order it even today, Sunday at the... Uh... It'll, it'll arrive in your home just a couple days after you order it. Thank you so much, Mr. Secretary. Let's all work together to make sure America stays the America we love. Amen. Thanks, Amen. John. With us today is Congressman Daniel Crenshaw, a former U.S. Navy SEAL and one uh, patriotic American from Texas. And uh, he's very much concerned about what's going on with our border, what's going on with our debt ceiling, and the migrants. Uh Good morning, uh, uh, Congressman Crenshaw. How are you today? I'm doing well, John. Great to be with you. Uh, tell us, uh, you, 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 your, your district is down in Texas. How bad is the border problem? The border problem is uh, as bad as it's ever been. Um, you know, the numbers keep growing. I mean, it's, it's to the point where it's, it's hard to even comprehend um, how many illegals are coming over uh, every single day. I mean, we're looking at you know, between... Six and 10,000 a day. Uh, we we're reaching upwards of 200,000 a month. Uh, vast majority of these crossings are in Texas. And the reason that is because it's the easiest place to sort of skirt the system. And that, that's because of the river. Um, you know, it's easy, to, it's easy to build a wall in Arizona and California and New Mexico and uh, prevent them from even crossing into U.S. territory. But in Texas, you can't really do that because the the border is actually in the middle of the river. And so you can build walls on our side, but they're still on our territory, and we still have to deal with them, and procedurally speaking, when they cross. And that's why Texas um, is the focal point of the crisis, really always has been. I mean, I've flown over Texas, 
And you guys have a border that's a long, it's pretty long border. Yeah, it's huge. And, and, and the focal points change right now. El Paso continues to be, I think, the, probably the worst situation. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of reasons for why it changes. Sometimes it's the Rio Grande Valley, you know, near McAllen, and sometimes it's El Paso. In any case, it's thousands. I mean, it's thousands a day, and it's just completely overwhelming to, to Border Patrol. They've Instead of actually patrolling the border, looking for security threats, you know, they're stuck. They're stuck being babysitters and nannies and bus drivers and and processing agents, which is which is not their job. And um, it's it's really taken a toll on the border patrol. It's taken a toll on their their morale. Um, you know, they don't know why they're there. They don't know what the point of their job is because they're not stopping anybody. They're just they're just. Uh, taking their name down and maybe taking some fingerprints and giving them a notice to appear and uh, they get paroled, uh, you know, for, for all intents and purposes and which we, we think is illegal. Um, you know, right now the attorney general of Florida has been in a long time lawsuit with the federal government. And I hope that goes somewhere. It would mean a great deal if that went to the Supreme court and the Supreme court sided with us to show that the administration has been, uh, has been overstepping their authority and paroling these people. So when we say catch and release, everybody knows the term catch and release. What that really means is is an overstepping of an authority of a paroling authority under U.S. law. So when it, when a, when a, when a migrant crosses illegally or even claims asylum, there is a there is a limited amount of there is a limited um, uh, authority for paroling. We believe the administration has exceeded that authority to an extensive degree. And if we can if we can prove that in the Supreme Court, we could change a lot here. It just seems like it's running wild. Does anybody understand? And maybe you understand the other side because I can't understand it. Why is President Biden, and I'm sure he's ordering uh, Secretary Mayorkas to do whatever it is, so it comes from the White House. Why are yeah, they I doing so, it? Why are they doing it? Look, uh, there's a few reasons. Um, why, why liberals just don't really care about this issue or, or even want it to be an issue. So one is I, I, I think that uh, some Democrat strategists actually believe that the, that the more the more migrants are in the country, the, the better their election uh, chances are in, in the future and future decades. I think they believe that to some extent. Um, I think their minds work a little differently than conservative minds. Conservative minds tend to tend to believe in, in borders and and loyalty to kind of a nationality uh, and, and, and you know, a sense of patriotism that, that means borders and sovereignty it, that, that tends when, when liberals are, are, are surveyed on those ideas, they score lower. Okay. They, they, it, it is not as important to them from a moral standpoint. That's just, that's just in the scientific data and hundreds of thousands of, of surveys given on these, on these issues. So there's a psychological factor there. Um, and, and look, there's another there's another political factor, which is the the pro immigration groups. I mean, the immigration groups that truly want. I mean, these are really really radical uh, groups. They get a lot of funding. They're nonprofits. Uh, they're they're advocacy groups. They truly do want to change the face of America. Um, you know, they they are they, right wingers aren't 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 really as paranoid as they make them out to be because that is true that some people want to do that. There's there's been a very very few. But they're very powerful, and they make a lot of money doing this. And so they have an interest in making sure that no deals are ever struck, that this problem continues and continues and continues and continues. 
And look, on the far right, the anti-immigration groups, they also have a, a, a stake in this because they make money by making sure the problem continues and continues and continues. And they'll battle anybody, any politician that tries to make a deal to stop this. And so it is up to us in Washington to, to make a deal, some kind of deal that stops this. And, and, and I'm going to do I'm going to try and go to Democrats this year and say, look, what what will it take for you guys to agree with us on, on securing aspects of this border? Like, how far can we push this? There are some Democrats that do believe this is actually a problem. But they'll never vote against their own party. So there's no solution. No, they won't. Look, I mean, what, what you'll see in the next few couple months probably is, is the Republicans will, will, will vote on what we call the Texas border plan. And that's just a um, it's a conglomeration of multiple bills, uh, so many of which are my bills that fix the asylum loopholes, fix the Flores settlement, fix a lot of complicated things, add more money to infrastructure, that, that, this kind of stuff. It would it would certainly secure the border if we passed this bill and it got signed into law. Now, of course, the Senate won't take it up. Okay, it'll pass the House with flying colors on a partisan basis. The Senate will never take it up. It'll go nowhere. So then it'll be up to us to say, okay, Democrats, which aspects of this bill will you agree with? We'll take it. We'll take any win we can get to just just get a little bit of forward movement on on securing the border. Um, We'll we'll use the appropriations process to leverage them on that, too, because we can control that. Um, and we'll but we'll just have to play a lot of hardball and get as far as we can on securing it. So it's just you, you got you got to do the political side of things um, up in Washington to get anything done. It's not going to be everything you want. We got to make sure that we don't get in our own way, See, because there's going to be some members who always want to vote against our own party just because we didn't get everything we wanted. And, and that would be a very foolish thing to do, because the only people that lose there are the American people. Congressman, we're out of time, but I wanted to thank you uh for coming on this Sunday morning. And uh, Congressman, thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the show where you can hear top newsmakers interviewed. It's the Cats Roundtable. What is today is Mario Economo, a banker from London, Zurich, New York. And uh, to give us an update of what's going on in Europe and, uh, and what's going on in Europe and what's going on in Davos. Uh, good morning, uh, Mario Economo. How are you today? Yes, good morning, the Cats Roundtable. I'm very well, thank you. Uh, several interesting things to go over and to cover uh, with respect to, the, uh, to Europe uh, today. Uh, the first is, uh, if you recall, a while back, President Biden had introduced in his uh, Inflation Redu- Reduction Act uh, $350 billion worth of subsidies to entice European companies and other companies to come to the U.S. and invest in alternative clean energy. Well, Germany and France have now decided that they're going to fight back and that they are actually asking the EU to redirect the recovery funds, which was that 750 billion euros uh, worth of money that were being distributed to the EU members, uh, to redirect that recovery fund to actually subsidizing companies to remain in Europe and to uh, pursue the same investments that they otherwise would in the U.S. 
the reality, however, is I suspect it won't work because at the end of the day, the U.S. continues to have a cheap supply of energy versus the uh, EU, and therefore many of the European companies will continue to stay. Um, another thing that's interesting that's happening in Europe, and this is important also for the Americans to know, uh, if you recall, the European Union bought a very, very large amount of Pfizer's vaccines, roughly 30 billion euros worth. And now the uh, committee in the European Parliament wants to investigate uh, how this agreement was reached. Uh, they are going to be inviting the European Commission president to appear before them and to answer questions specifically about text messages that have been lost and heavily redacted documents that have been provided because they believe that the European citizens are entitled to more transparency than what the European Commission has provided with respect to um, the purchase of these uh, vaccines. This is important because this is probably the first time that the European Parliament is openly going to try and challenge the European Commission uh, in order for the European Commission to provide more transparency. And this comes on the back of what's called the Qatar Gate, uh, whereby many of the European parliamentarians are concerned that EU citizens feel that there's not enough transparency in the EU inst institutions, and they want to make sure that these EU institutions continue to serve the interests. Respect to DeVos, uh, it's important to note that there are three very large players, the largest players missing from Davos this year. Breaking news! Specifically, the United States, President Biden, and um, uh, his people have not shown up. Uh, China's uh, premier, premier has not shown up. The president of China has not appeared. Uh, he has sent a rather high-level delegation to tell the world that China is open for business, but he himself has not appeared. And then, of course, Russia is not there. So it's very difficult for uh, an event like Davos in America, we say Davos. Which one is it? I, yes, well, uh, that's a very good question. Is it potato or potato? Yes. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you can take your pick. We, need a, little, we day, need a little humor on a Sunday morning. Yes, we do. In fact, you're correct, we do. Uh, I do want to touch on a couple of other things, if I may. Uh, these are very important as well. Uh, Spain's prime minister is calling on France and Germany to enter into formal discussions with Russia to end the war. Um, this also comes on the back of the German chancellor saying that he will not be providing tanks to the Ukraine unless the U.S. does as well. And thus far, we know the U.S. has said no to sending any tanks or heavier uh, weapons and equipment to the Ukraine. The Kremlin, for its part, and through its spokesman, Mr. Peskov, has said that if any tanks are in fact sent, that this will be deemed by the Russians as an escalation by NATO and the West, and he stated that all these tanks would be destroyed before they even were deployed in the field uh, by the Ukrainians, um, which I find interesting because thus far they have the uh, Russians have been destroying a lot of the equipment that the West has been sending. And uh, one has to wonder if the Ukrainians are fighting valiantly, but they're not they don't know how to use the weapons and the equipment that's being sent. Does it make sense to keep sending equipment? that the poor Ukrainians will die in uh, and ultimately will end up losing the war because they don't know how to use the machines. So I think people need to start asking some questions about when this is going to end and how this is going to end. Sooner would be better than later. John Kerry is in Davos. And uh, is, it, is Iran still on the table? Uh, I'm sorry, is Iran still on the table in what way? So, uh, I guess the United States keeps wanting to help Iran. 
Uh, I haven't come across anything, but that doesn't mean that, okay. that, that I'm... T- Next week's subject. Next week. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mario Economo. An update on what's going on in Europe. Europe affects the United States, and we'll catch up again in the near future. Thank you. Enjoy your Sunday. The leading economist for our country, Larry Kudlow. Larry, what the heck is going on? The toughest part for stocks, and they got slammed the other day, you had some very bad economic releases. So as somebody who would prefer to see a soft landing, retail sales fell, industrial production fell, manufacturing fell, housing fell. Today, the numbers on existing home sales is not good. We're ending the year on a very poor note, Sid. So I'm worried right now, maybe more than I was a week ago. Uh, The only thing that seems to be holding is the labor market, the unemployment claims, remain low so that's good america is still working but almost every other number that came in looks really really bad and it bodes well for the january stuff it bodes well it bodes poorly rather for january it bodes poorly for the new year so i'm quite worried about this why would anybody because housing starts are down uh, construction is down in the toilet uh, and the world's coming to an end for real estate people. And say, I see the symbols already. Uh, and uh, who would sell his house that he's paying 3% interest on to buy another house to pay 6 or 7%? What we need here to improve the outlook for growth and prosperity, we need less spending. Yep. We need lower taxing. We need less regulating. We need to stop punishing success. We should reward success. All this woke socialism from the Bidens, I think you're going to see the House Republicans come after them, and they are right to do so. There'll be no debt defaults. There's plenty of revenues to pay interest on 10-year bonds, but you cannot continue to increase spending by, you know, $2 billion, $2 trillion a year. I mean, $5 trillion of additional debt in Biden's first two years in office. So, the Republicans are correct in the House. You're going to have a debt deal, but it's going to be accompanied by significant spending cuts, new spending caps, and new sequestration punishment if you don't meet the caps. Kind of like 2011. Don Boehner negotiated with Barack Obama, did very well. That's a good thing. That's a good thing for the economy. It's a good thing for lower inflation. And it's a good thing for future economic growth down the road. So Biden finally admitted that selling out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is supposed to be there for weather disasters and emergencies or a national security emergency, was really aimed at lowering gasoline prices. Now, that was pathetic. And that, by the way, violates the law that set up SPRO in the first place. One last thing before we take a break. They are on the climate. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.